we eat three times a day. Every time we choose what to put in our mouths comes from a moment where we have chosen what to buy in the shop and which shop and from who. And tracing that relationship back to where it comes from, that's where we make those choices to save the planet. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I interview inspiring and influential guests who are making their mark on the world and contributing to the common good. Making your mark, big or small, is creating a legacy, and it's one of the proven ways we age with energy and joy. Zestful Aging Podcast is my legacy. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist and fellow Zestful Ager. Our music is courtesy of Judy Banker. Find out more at judybanker.com. And to find out more about this podcast, my web courses, and all my offerings, hop on over to zestfulaging.com. And while you're there, sign up for my newsletter, The Insider, where you're going to get seen behind the scenes looks at my interviews and other fun tidbits. Hi there. Spring has definitely sprung, and I'm seeing little purple crocuses popping up in my neighborhood. And to celebrate the season, I'm taking $20 off of my popular Zestful Aging web course. You will learn the tried and true ways to add zest and vitality to your life, and it comes with a booklet I made just for the course. It's all based on science and my 30 years as a psychotherapist. So hop on over to ZestfulAging.com for more information and use the code SPRING2021. You will get $20 off the course and it is going to be a great way to start the season. Now back to the show. Well, I've got my little loyal Jack Russell Sparky right by my side, as always. He's very tired today because I went on a hike yesterday, a, t a place in the woods I've been hundreds of times, and we actually got lost because everything is snow covered. So he's <laughs> he's sound asleep. Um, and I am so excited for our interview today. We have a really special guest. She's a rock star in the world of food and podcasting, and she she aims to understand food in a really interesting way. She gives us a whole new way to think about what we eat and our relationship to it. Her work is unique and fascinating. Jilly Smith is an award-winning food writer and podcaster who's been writing and making radio, television, and podcasts since the early 90s. She was an early adopter. Her books are mainly about the influence of culture of food in its various forms, including how to eat to save the planet. And we're really going to focus on that today. Her book, one of many, Taste and the TV Chef won the 2020 Gourmand Award for Best UK Food Writing. And I'm so excited to welcome Jilly Smith to the program today. Thanks very much. What a lovely uh, introduction. Uh, uh, so great to uh, <laughs> speak with you. But I, before we get into food and planet, I have to start with 
your recent interview with Ira Glass. And I think you knew I was going to ask you about that. There were a lot of clues. And you said in one of your episodes that you asked him a question he had never been asked before. And as a podcaster who really values that, tell me about your interview and what it was like to hear that you asked him something that he really had to think about. I did. And, you know, when you're editing, I mean, I do all, everything myself with with the podcast and I edit it myself. And I really thought, shall I keep that very long silence of his in where he goes mm-hmm. and he repeats the question? And I didn't. Although I might go back and I might re-edit it because it hasn't ah. actually gone out yet. But it's really interesting. It's one of those glorious moments where you think, oh. God, this God of, of radio and podcasting really oh. hasn't been asked this before. And I'll tell you what it was. I mean, actually, there were a few. Um, the main one was um, money. He was telling me, we were talking about his legacy in podcasting. And basically, everyone I've ever talked to has always said they podcast because of Ira Glass, <laughs> This American Life, uh-huh. and Serial. And in, and in the UK yes. in particular, Serial really did kickstart or, or jump-started podcasting. It was sort of flailing. It had started and stopped and started and stopped. And then Serial came out in 2014. Mm. And just everyone was like, oh, my mm. God, I want to make this. I can do this. Mm. I, I, yeah. So we were talking about how he got to where he, he is and how he creates that amount of amazing material. And, of course, the answer is he has a lot of really, really excellent people. And he has a lot of resources. And I said to him, you know, the thing that keeps coming up again and again as you're talking to me and the word that keeps coming up to me is money and he went money money mm-hmm. <laughs> and he said what do you i don't i don't know what you mean and i said because time equals money people equals money podcasting podcasters do not normally get a lot of money and everyone always kind of hails you as the king of podcasting but actually there's a huge difference between what you do and what podcasters do um, and we, there is just no level playing field unless you're brought up mm. in this country by BBC Sounds, for example, and then you're given a, a budget to make that kind of wonderful programming. And, you know, I'm talking to people now about working with producers, and that means, gosh, another, you know, another pair of ears for a start, but another pair of hands. Mm. You know, I, I do everything. I have done everything myself for four years. And even when I was working with some of the big brand podcasts, you know, we didn't get paid a huge amount of money. Unlike, you know, the real American podcasts, which now mm-hmm. do come from a very different world. So there was that, but there are a few others as well. So the interview is going out on how to grow a pod in a couple of weeks. And um, it was just, a, it was really interesting because, he, you know, the thing about Ira Glass, as you'll know, and you, even if you've never met him, everybody who's ever listened to Ira Glass will know that he is seriously generous. He is seriously mm-hmm. interested. You know, he was really interested in what I was telling him about what the BBC Sounds output was and how the style of This American Life has been copied um, over and over again and, and done very well uh, by British producers in BBC Sounds. And he was very interested to know what oh. they were and to listen and, you know, and engage. You know, uh, I, I was very impressed with him. I think he mm-hmm. sounds like a, a really lovely man. Um, it was a total joy, but but you know, really I, embarrassingly, actually, oh. just before he was my one of my very first interviewees for the book, um, which I wrote a book about podcasting and the How to Grow a Pod is the podcast of the book with all the uncut um, interviews, almost uncut, and um, I to my horror, 
I wasn't wearing headphones. He was in this gloriously soundproofed office using a beautiful oh. microphone. I was just oh. using my normal microphone. No headphones. Oh, no, dear. No clean feed. I was sitting in my kitchen. Oh. You never oh. sit in a kitchen. You know, oh. all the things that I know now. So it's no. hilarious <laughs> listening to the difference between his sound. Beautiful, the professional. Yeah. I, I, I just have a really quick story about Ira Glass that I think you will appreciate. He came to Syracuse University very pre-COVID and it was very hard to get in to see him of course and he started the show in total darkness and he comes on you hear him come on the stage everything you can't the lights are completely turned off and he starts the whole program in darkness and say you only hear my voice as a podcaster you only hear my voice this is what a podcast is and it's just the intimacy of kind of being in the dark with this other person you can't see and that he talked about the quality of the relationship what it feels like and then Eventually, he put the lights on and he was sitting at a very simple table, just himself, uh, talking about it. It was such a dramatic way to make the point. Interestingly, Uh, that's how we started as well. Oh! Yeah. I mean, not in the dark. We were talking about using Zoom and he told me a story of one of his producers who doesn't use Zoom for that purpose. She only wants to hear the voice of the person who she's interviewing because she wants to use her imagination to create the story. Isn't that fascinating? Mm. It's like reading a, a, mm. a book and then seeing the movie and somehow mm. it's not as rich, even if it's well produced. Yeah. It's Isn't a relationship between the inside of your head and the inside of his oh, head. Oh, what a beautiful, uh, that's such a beautiful quote. And in my book, uh, and I talk about, um, that's not yet published, but not just chatting how to become a master podcast interviewer. It's about an emotional connection and the words almost don't matter. Mm. It's the sound of the words and the research shows Mm. it's actually the sounds and people can make out enough of the meaning just by the tone of your voice. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's so fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. God, we could talk about this for ages. I know, I know, I know. (laughs) So let's get to one of your specialties, which is how we look at food, how we look at the planet, and our relationship to everything we consume. Talk to me about that. What do you, what's your philosophy? What have you learned? And what, what do we need to know about that? Well, we are living in a climate emergency. And we're daydreaming, sleepwalking, whatever analogy you want to use into an absolute disaster. And way back when I was doing the Delicious podcast, which was my first podcast back in 2016, I interviewed the global CEO of Compassion and World Farming. And he said something that really knocked me for six. He said, we have the opportunity to save the planet three times a day. We eat three times a day. Every time we choose what to put in our mouths comes from a moment where we have chosen what to buy in the shop and which shop and from who. And tracing that relationship back to where it comes from, that's where we make those choices to save the planet. If we buy 
we call it factory farmed food, intensively farmed food, you know, chickens that are kept in huge, great factories, pigs that never see the light of day, animals who are terribly badly treated or just, you know, just kept indoors, which is treating them really badly. Mm-hmm. We are losing our connection with the food in our mouths. There's it, That's not delicious. That tastes of pain. That mm-hmm. tastes of of torture, actually. The idea mm. of eating bacon that comes from a pig that's just been kept in a farm, a, you know, a factory farm all the time, or a chicken that's been, you know, fast growing through hormones, um, that its own legs are broken by the time it, it is actually slaughtered because it's too heavy for its own body mm. because it's been grown too fast. I don't want to taste that. I don't want to taste that. You know, so there's the high welfare issue. And he, so he was talking about the high welfare issue. And then I started doing a lot. That really, 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 I'm a big animal lover, but that really resonated with me. He wasn't so, I mean, he does do a lot. Compassion World Farming does a lot about the impact on the climate now. But at that particular time, it was much more about high welfare. And I started thinking about, you know, how we source those kind of, those kind of um, choices that we make. And I started looking at the impact of food production on the planet just at the time when we were starting to think about a real climate emergency. And it was undeniable, the biggest carbon footprint is food production. Mm-hmm. More than anything, more than anything. That's amazing because most of us, I think, uh, would look at cars and factory, you know, mm-hmm. outputs. Yeah. And so this is really important for yeah. us to pay attention to. And the most important thing is that, you know, a lot of people don't fly. A lot of people don't drive cars. Everybody eats mm-hmm. and everybody eats about three times a day. You know, if you're lucky. But, you know, it's, and so, you know, the work I do, everything I do is about that. So I do cooking the books where I speak to a, a list of food writers. Um, and every single conversation I have is somehow connected to how to eat to save the planet. So I've just done today an interview with Theo Randall, who's a huge, you know, top, top, top chef in London's Intercontinental Hotel. You know, it's the kind of place that if you've got a lot of money, you'll go and eat there and taste London's gastro scene. Mm. And he, we were talking about sourcing and I said, but, you know, we were talking about his book, The Italian Deli Kitchen, the, the Italian Deli Cookbook. And he loves Italy and we're talking about his connection with with Italy. And I was saying, but, you know, actually that's not local or seasonal, which we know is a key to uh, net zeroing up your carbon footprint. If you're buying local seasonal foods, even in the hungry gap, which we're in right now, where there's barely any food that's being produced in Britain, um, you know, you're you're flying food in. And so you have to Mm -hmm. think about, do you really need to to cook with aubergines and tomatoes right now? uh, do you, and he said, well, I source all my fish locally, for example. Yeah, absolutely. And he does absolutely what he, he does. But, you know, I kind of, to use a cooking, cooking metaphor, I, I really do grill these people. So I really mm-hmm. kind of get them to really think about it. And they're all on the same page. And I've, you know, most of them are, are leading the field in it. Dan Barber, for example, you know, I mean, God, there's no one who knows more about this than Dan Barber. And he mm-hmm. will use his influence at the G9, the chef summit, you know, where there's only oh, nine top gosh. chefs in the world. And I think that as a food journalist, it's up to my 
it's up to me to do the little bit that I can for my audience, my readership, the, you know, the, all the people I speak to, you know, that's not in any way the, the, the kind of audiences that people like Dan Barber will speak to. But I just don't see any point in doing it if you don't do it properly. There's no point in talking about food unless you're talking about it in, in terms of, of, of how to make more conscious choices. Mm-hmm. From so mouth, it's not yeah. for you as a foodie and a gourmand and all this, it just isn't enough to say what's the perfect pairing with this wine. Oh, it's God, just, no. It's, <laughs> no, 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 no. I want to know about the sourcing of the wines. I want to oh. know about the organic soil. I want to know about the terroir. I want to know about the relationship between the, 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 the vineyard owners and the immigrants who work for them. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure that the there's story. food justice. I want, that, you know, for me, the, I will taste food injustice in that wine, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and I want everyone to, because that's the only way that people will care enough to make sure that those Mexican migrants have paid properly. Mm-hmm. You know, and we hear about in the U.S. and California, the hierarchy of the berry pickers, yeah. which berries are uh, folks are treated better. Are you picking strawberries? Are you picking raspberries? What's that like? Is it safe? Do they ha- are they exposed to pesticides? Yeah. Is there violence? I mean, it just goes on and on. Yeah. It's almost as if every social problem is wrapped up in this. It really is. And you see, that's why it's so important because we can all change that if we become conscious of it. And so I have an opportunity to tell that story in all the podcasts I make. And and for, and for all those different audiences joined up, that would make lots and lots and lots of people. You know, I talk to people on other podcasts. I talk to you. you I'm talking to, what, 93 countries you're in. You know, mm-hmm. people will hear this and, and maybe they'll go, oh my God, I just, I just, I mean, yes, of course I care. I'd never really thought about it like that. I'm going to think again. Mm-hmm. You know? So there's no such thing as cheap food. There is no such thing as cheap food. Um, sadly, it's all hidden costs. Someone mm-hmm. somewhere is getting the rap. Whether it's an animal, whether it's the planet, whether it's, you know, think, you think about the impact of the factory farms on putting the effluent of the chickens, for example, into the rivers. That kills all the fish, that kills the ecosystem, you know, and, and the impact on that is, is just enormous. So it's, and it's just, it's a kinder, slower, simpler way of eating that I'm proposing. There's a, there's a wonderful phrase, shake the hand that feeds, get to know the farmer or the fisherman or the butcher or you know get to know where your food comes from it's a lovely relationship you know it opens it up you there's a wonderful um piece in dan barber's book where he's talking to this spanish farmer uh, about making foie gras uh he it's about ethical foie gras Mm-hmm. And, and it's a wonderful story. And he brings him over to Blue Hill and, and the, the farmer's saying, Oh my God, I saw this queue of people, um, going to, through to a drive through, um, burger joint. And he said, they reminded me of the factory farms on the way to slaughter. They're all sitting in their cars, inching forward. They're not talking to each other. They're just looking out the window. Nobody's talking. Nobody's moving very fast at all until they get to the point where they reach out and they get the burger and they move on. And that, he said, was like a conveyor belt. And I thought, wow, that's so powerful. That is such a powerful image. We've become such machines. We've forgotten how to think. And so many people listening to this will be thinking, oh, my God, that's me. Ah, you know, and, and of course, it was me at, at one point. And, you know, I'm sure that we've all been there where we've just haven't even thought about 
what's under that shrink wrap plastic? Why mm. would you buy something that you don't know anything about? Mm-hmm. And then eat it. Yeah, it's the most intimate relationship. Absolutely, absolutely. And it can be so glorious. Mm. Oh, I know. I mean, like, well, in, you know, we're in upstate New York and it snows here for six months out of the year. But boy, when that garden is producing, it's like heaven on earth. Yeah. Yeah. That lettuce that comes out of that garden is, there's no comparison to, you know, and we have beautiful grocery stores here. We have Wegmans for goodness sake. Mm -hmm. Boy, it is just, it's like a different, it's a different animal. Yeah. And of course, everybody can. I mean, I do a lot of work for the Food Foundation where I'm dealing with child food poverty. I've spent the day today cutting a documentary uh, about child food poverty and food banks. And you might say, well, you know, this is a very sort of um, bourgeois conversation. Yes, that this yes, is only yes. about. And I did say that to Trina Hahnemann, who's a Danish activist chef. And she said, yeah, people always say that from the UK. It's because your social system is so skewed. She says, we, we have to start by pe- getting, make, making sure that there's enough jobs for people to be, have enough money to be able to food everyone to feed everyone you know and you just think oh god there's literally no way that you can avoid this argument it is absolutely about feed people properly so that they can be healthy enough to be happy enough to care about the things that matter you know when i was talking to to a 16 year old who was suffering from you know just terrible food poverty and i was interviewing her for the food foundation about a year and a half ago before lockdown and she and we, I took her out, it was her birthday and I took her to some awful bar that she wanted to go to for, for <laughs> you know, and I was looking at the menu and I was thinking, oh God, I can't talk about climate change to her. You know, I know how she lives. You know, this is, the, she only eats frozen foods. She, I, this, I can't have this conversation with her. Of course I can have that conversation with her, but it would be difficult until she has an option. And she doesn't have an option because we don't yes. we don't make sure that people have an access to jobs and we don't have access to good, fresh food. Mm-hmm. Hey, lovely listeners, I have something really special to share with you. I recently interviewed Dr. Elise Bailu, who is the founder of Mindfulness in May. Every May, thousands of people worldwide join the program featuring the world's best experts and build mental resilience through committing to 10 minutes of meditation per day, while also raising funds to address the world's most urgent global issues. Over the last eight years, Mindful in May has taught over 40,000 people to meditate while raising $800,000 to bring clean, safe drinking water to the developing world. Well, I'm going to give out five free registrations for Mindful in May to the listeners of Zestful Aging who write the most descriptive and original five-star review of Zestful Aging on whatever platform you use to listen. And after you rate the show, please copy and paste your review and send it to me at ZestfulAging.com with instructions on how to contact you. The contest ends April 30th, and I'll be joining the program in May, and I can't wait. And please check out mindfulinmay.org. It's really special. Look for Elise Bailu's episode coming soon.
Now back to the show. You know, what's interesting too, as a psychotherapist, I'm reading and interviewing people who, in fact, they're coming up to scientists in Canada who are putting out the first book on a re- really robust research about micronutrients and how they influence mental health. Mm. And so it's not even just, I mean, it just goes on and on mm-hmm. and on the levels at which this is so important for our society that when you have depleted soils, you can't make a healthy brain. Exactly. And we have depleted soils because of pesticides in the soils. Mm -hmm. And pesticides are about uh, more efficient, faster farming. It's capitalism. It's making more money and doing Mm -hmm. less work. Shorter time. Yeah. And you just think, (laughs) where's the purpose? You know, where's the fulfillment? Um, There's a wonderful book called Cytopia, written by Carolyn Steele, which made me cry just before Christmas. I've done, she's on my Cooking the Books podcast if people don't want to read a huge, great book. I mean, it's wonderful, but <laughs> it's it does. C- say it again, Cytopia? Yeah, she made the word up. It means food place from Sitos and Topos, the two Greek words meaning food place. And it's a vision of, well, it's a story of how we lost our connection with food. And a lot of it has to do with speeding things up, getting, you know, not having any time, the time poor narrative and all that sort of stuff and just stopping and looking at the impact of that. And climate change is mother's nature's way of saying, hold my beer. I'm going Mm -hmm, in. mm -hmm. I'll sort this. And she always bats last. Yeah. Absolutely. So where do you see this now? I mean, COVID makes it so complicated in some ways, but maybe more clear in others. Are we on the right path? Are we making progress here? Well, the documentary I was making today is about how COVID has revealed the gaps in the food system Mm -hmm. uh, in the UK, although I'm interviewing somebody tomorrow in the US uh, about the place of food banks and the tax breaks that your corporates are being given by, um, well, I don't know which government actually to to um, to donate food and to food banks to basically absolve the government of responsibility of looking after the poorest people in in America. Um, but I can't imagine Biden's had time to do that, so I imagine it's the other guy. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Whose name will, will, will we do? Need- yeah, let's not use his name. Let's and just say the other guy. <laughs> but you know what covid has revealed is is stuff that we can't ever ignore again it's mm-hmm. it's shown the real gaps in the system and that gives us a real opportunity to plug those gaps and to to make sure that we do uh, unravel uh, the whole lot now and have a look at what we can do and i'm i'm a hugely positive person and um i work with food foundation which is also incredibly positive and there are lots of there are lots of ways of doing this you know, um, it's very simple. I mean, in terms of, well, there's the social justice, there's, you know, getting people jobs, getting people enough mm-hmm. money to feed their own families. That's, that's bottom line. But in terms of eating, you know, you said yourself, it's about picking stuff from the, your, your raised beds. You don't need to grow very much. My, my daughter and her boyfriend, they grow, um, they've got, they haven't even got a yard and they cook things, they, they, um, grow things in jars and they, they take such huge pleasure about growing chilies and things like that. Mm-hmm. But they, you know, they grow little salads and, and all sorts of stuff. And anybody can do that on a window box. Um, I know that it's not a priority if you are in grinding 
poverty. Mm. And that's what we have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, for people like you and me, it's about uh, the, the ratio between meat and, and, and vegetarian uh, foods is 80 to 20 vegetarian to meat, mm-hmm. uh, meat stroke fish. If at all, you if you eat meat at all, I, I do because I do believe in supporting farmers, high welfare farmers, because we need those animals on the land, because we need to get away from pesticides, and we need that. There's a lot of work that the animals, high welfare animals, can do to re- replete the uh, the soil. Um, and when you say high welfare, I'm not familiar with that term. So it's extensive farming animals. Oh my God, it's just so obvious. Uh, I, it's, I I almost want to cry to say. It's actually putting animals outside, eating grass. Oh, oh I mean, can you believe that I'm actually having to tell Say you that? Ha- yeah, it's that. Oh, just crazy. It's about it's about proper farming. It's about remembering what farmers do, what farmers love, and their relationship with the land. They are environmentalists. They are the keepers and the, the stewards of the land. They'll do all the stuff, the keeping the birds in the hedgerows. They'll they'll keep the land in the way that, that they need to be so that the birds and the butterflies and the bees and the insects come back. We haven't got any insects in the soil. It's a madness. Are, are they still using Roundup in the in the UK? No, I think that that has been banned Finally. now. But, well, but, it you is know, not banned here. Is it not? No. Wow. That's extraordinary. But, you know, most farmers, they will use many, many different pesticides. There's a whole industry. It's capitalism again. It's a whole industry that will work with farmers to say, okay, so you want this particular kind of corn. Okay, well, we'll give you this pesticide for this bug. We'll give you this pesticide for that bug. You know, capitalism also has the answer. You know, um, I mean, I haven't read Bill Gates's book yet, and I hear that it's uh, uh, there's a lot of um, contentious stuff in it. But actually, one thing that he's right about is that there will be a massive green economy um, that will will have to come out of this climate emergency. People will mm. come up with answers, and it will be driven by the need to make money out of it. So, you know, bring it on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So for for those of us who want to do better and who are already sold on this, but are also buying foods that are, you know, we don't know the origin and all of this, what are the first steps? You talked about 80-20, mm-hmm. but is there... Are, is there anything else, other guiding principles that might help people start hmm. uh, being more uh, aware? Yeah. I mean, local seasonal, 80 20. Okay. That kind of okay. covers it. It kind of okay. covers it. You know, buy from your local farmers, buy within mm. the season. So that means right now I'm buying a lot of cabbage, mm. <laughs> a lot of kale. But and squashes, right? Squashes, exactly. Squash. And, um, you know, I mean, I'm, I do buy rice. I do buy pasta. Um, I mm-hmm. do, you know, I do buy that stuff. But, um, m- you know, most of the stuff is coming from the, the, the land around me. Um, I see. And, we, and so you're talking about, uh, I mean, for us and for many people, is uh, making friends with the farmer's market. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, or going to the farmer's farm gate. Um, you know, if you live anywhere near a farm, go and see what they've got. 
But get yourself a veg box. That's what we do. Um, we get it sent to the house every every week. And, mm-hmm. you know, that gives the farmers, um, you know, a reliable income. That means yes. that they can um, grow the stuff that they, they're encouraged to grow the stuff that we need to be eating right now. You can't have a local seasonal food culture unless you're supporting the farmers to do to to create that stuff. Mm-hmm. That makes yeah. so much sense. It's a system. It's a complex system. It's not just like oh, eat more, you know, grains or something. No, 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 not at all. Um, it's really not. It's just about think a bit more. You know, it's it's not stuff that we don't know. Um, you know, it's it's how life used to be in many ways. Um, you know, the farmer looks after the animals on the land. We need the animals on the land. We don't need them in in mm. hut, in mm. you know great big warehouses. Mm. Um, mm. That's simply to put a lot more meat out into the uh, into the food chain that we just don't need to eat. So yes. if you take meat right down to twenty percent of your diet, I see. You know, just eat one, uh, you know, really lovely piece of lamb once a month. You know, that's a treat. That's how people used to eat that's in the old right. days. And then that's don't right. throw things away. That's the other th- important principle. Don't waste. You know, waste is huge. Greenhouse gases mm. that come out of waste are absolutely enormous. We throw mm-hmm. away half of what we buy. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And you don't need to do that. You buy locally, seasonally, from your farmer, from your veg box, and then learn to cook again. You know, make things out the back of the fridge. I love to do that. Mm-hmm. Do you have, uh, and this may be a silly question because I'm sure this exists because of back a, a long time ago, you know, there were diets that were, <clears throat> excuse me, more macro, looking at more local and helping with allergies and all this stuff. There must be cookbooks for regions that, uh, that help with, hey, there's going to be a lot of kale. What can I make with kale? I don't want to have every day the same kale dish. There must be local and regional cookbooks that look at that. Yeah, well, you see, we've got a very different um, idea of what regional means. We're a tiny little country. So, so there's, right. you know, kale in Scotland, kale in Cornwall. <laughs> ah, okay. So it's different, of course, in the U.S. because we're growing yeah. such different foods. Yes, yeah. that's fascinating. Yeah. What's it like on a personal level, Jilly, for you to be with people in you know, in your interactions, business, what you have tons of stuff going out, your producer, all this stuff, and people are just not that interested. And maybe you have to, you know, pre-COVID, you go out for a meal and they just are clueless and they order a big, big porterhouse. And uh, like, how, how, is there a way to reconcile that for you or are they just not invited into your world? (laughs) Um, do you know what? Actually, there's such a big movement here now. Um, I think a couple of years ago that might have been the case, but there's a mm. huge movement. Um, you know, my book Taste and the TV Chef really tells the story of how TV taught Britain to eat. And that mm. is sort of tells the last 30, 30 years, really. We've moved on enormously, enormously. So I, it's kind of not done. It's not okay to eat meat that would have come from a factory farm it's Um, not cool anymore it's not cool it's not cool and that's that that is basically what i wrote about in the book you know when you make something not cool 
it like Jamie Oliver did, and that's the kind uh, of where the start point with mine. You know, cook like Jamie, and you can have everything that Jamie has. You know, cool girlfriend, cool friends, and, uh, and a really nice lifestyle. It's the same deal. It's how smoking stopped. Yeah, you know, it's not cool. It's not fashionable anymore, yeah. and nobody's going to want to play yeah. with you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's as simple as that. Uh-huh. So you know, would you really you know invite people over to your house and cook them something out of a shrink wrap package from you know the the supermarket? You you just wouldn't, would you? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, or heat something up from a I don't know <laughs> microwave. I mean, that's not what you want to do. You, in a styrofoam bowl. Yeah, exactly. You just wouldn't. You 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 want to feed people. Uh-huh. You might want to show off, but you you want to feed people probably. Um, and that's that's it's yeah, it's just not cool. I see. So that's you know we can really um, influence people through what's socially acceptable yeah that's it and use that as leverage yeah and so it's up to people like you and me to be the game changers mm-hmm. you know just like i would never shame anyone about their food i would never say mm-hmm. where do where do you think that food came from uh-huh. i wouldn't do that in the moment um but you know i'm pretty out there <laughs> i don't I don't mince my words i know what to expect <laughs> right, have you uh have did you follow the the uh, show Portlandia ever? No. Do you remember that? No, oh, okay. I don't. It was it's a bit. Uh, it was a little while ago. There's a comedian now, and his name will come to me. But they had this little um, uh, little piece, this little bit about getting to know the chicken, right? Yeah. So they really want to get to know the chicken, and they know his name, and then they finally go and they, you know, they meet his friends at the farm, and it's just something yeah, that becomes absolutely ridiculous and yeah. turns into a cult. But it really, it really shows that this is what's on people's minds. That mm. we are starting to wonder where did this chicken come from, mm. and what was his life like? Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It, things are changing and they have to change. But, you know, we did talk a lot about sort of social justice and the social system and and that has to change very quickly now. And I think that COVID will help mm-hmm. that change because it's not people like you and me. You know, we're probably f- conscious enough, um, you know, middle class, middle life particularly people who, you know, read the papers, the NPR generation, as you called mm. us, mm-hmm. um, you know, we'll, if we're not doing it right now, we can change that really quickly. But unfortunately, that's not the case for most people in this country and in your country. Mm-hmm. Um, they are dealing with things that, that, that do not prioritize, you know, conscious consumption. Conscious consumption. That's right. Oh my goodness. There's so much to think about. It's it's about fascinating. But you know it is so fascinating. But also, you know, just 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 to remember and I, and you know Dan Barber says this as well, you know, just let's remember that it has to be delicious. And mm. and if you just remind yourself that it's not a weighty, terrifying, awful, awful thing, it's about the best taste Pleasure. in the world. It's about pleasure. And it's not about just your pleasure, but it's about the pleasure of the farmer. It's the pleasure of all those bugs and bees and butterflies and the and the animals on the land having wonderful lives. You know, it's about pleasure and deliciousness. And har- there's a harmony everywhere. that comes to mind that yeah. it's really harmonious. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And slow and you know, just to, instead of 
bolting down your food on the run and not really mm-hmm. thinking about you know what scrolling. it's doing for you yeah exactly and not thinking about the impact it has on your gut for example or your skin or your hair or anything you just it doesn't have any relationship with you and then you compare that with oh my god can it's like it's february here and it's cold outside but mm-hmm. it, spring is coming so imagine mm-hmm. sitting outside uh, in a wonderful Italian, you know, marketplace and have, sharing a table with a whole bunch of friends for hours and hours and hours on end, having taken the train because we're not flying anymore. Um, <laughs> and, you know, sharing a, a number of bottles of locally produced wine, which would be amazingly delicious because they come from around the corner. Mm-hmm. You know, that is just so preferable to eating on the run and just having no connection and just being like those guys in the car that that Dan Barber describes in the book. Oh, yes. You know, it's funny because when I travel pre-COVID, of course, is one of the things that I love to do is go to the local farmer's Mm -hmm. markets because you get to really get a sense of who the people are and what, you know, Mm. it's going to be different than New York. And there's actually a documentary. It's not a new one, but it goes through and and introduces you to uh, farmer's markets around the U.S. Okay. And I thought, what a fun idea it would be to uh, set out to travel and say, these are the 10 farmer's markets I have to experience. Well, that's that's very funny. That is just what I'm about to do. Ah! But not in the US, but around Europe. Uh-huh. That's one of my next projects. Yeah, called The Market. Coming soon. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so your plan is to go and just to see and smell and get little tastes? Yeah, and- yeah. <gasps> Oh, I'm jealous. (laughs) Well, I started, one of the first things I did, well, when I was at Delicious, I was always out and about doing this, but I also did the Borough Market podcast, Mm -hmm. which many of your listeners will know as the farmer's market in London. I mean, it is a destination market. It's huge. And I did the stories behind the stalls. So I was getting those wonderful stories from the people who just have given up, you know, amazing jobs to just go and make jam or, you know, honey sommeliers. I mean, they have such, you know, I came back and I said to my husband, I have found the answer to life. These people have joy. We have to give everything up and make honey. And And it's so funny because we also, you know, have a beer culture, as Mm -hmm. as everyone does now. But in upstate New York, there's particular kind of hops that are very historical. And you get talking to some of these brewers and you lose a half an hour and you better get going. I have, yeah. I have done right? podcasts with them. I, I, I've done so much about craft brewing and um, micro brewing as well, oh. where they share the space with other people. Honestly, oh. it's like going to the best Collab- party ever. They collaborate. Yeah. You use my hops. I use you. Yeah. We're going to produce this beer together and yeah. have a fun. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Isn't it? And you know what I love so much about it is it's it's the millennial generation. It's the sort of the 28 to you know, 40. Mm. They are just going back to working with their hands, getting their hands dirty, Mm. feeling stuff again, you know, waking up the senses, you know, really loving taste, really understanding stories. You know, they, they're, they're filling the gaps that we created, you know, it's our generation and, and the generation that's older than, than us who, 
who wanted everything fast and convenient and we just it's just a small blip in our history and i hope if we haven't if we're not too late it's that generation who's going to make it good again because they are the true gourmands they love taste everything for them is about pleasure and it's a whole body experience yeah and it's different than saying, what would I like? Oh, I know. I'm going to buy a German sports car. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that doesn't give you the depth of experience and pleasure, I would argue. Well, they haven't made it. You see, that I think that a lot of the craft mm, stuff is about the making it. Mm, it's about growing. It's about seeing things mm, through. Mm, it's about really you literally slowing things down. Because and getting that enormous satisfaction from seeing the fruits of your labor. That's exactly. I mean, I'm a I'm a hardcore knitter, and these are conversations. Why am I spending a hundred dollars on the yarn where I can go and get a similar sweater at the gro- uh, at the at the market that somebody made in Guatemala? Yeah. Who knows how old they were? Whatever. <laughs> Don't get me started on fast fashion. Okay. 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 <laughs> and the fact, you know, but there's something, and there's brain science we know working with our hands keeps our uh, keeps us mentally healthy we were evolved to do this yes that's right that's absolutely it so much fun so much fun jilly please tell our audience where's the best place to find you you are so prolific you have so much great stuff where can they find out more about all of your um your projects well, in one place, I'm JillySmith.com. That's Jilly with a G, G-I-L-L-Y, Smith.com. Um, but I'm not very good at updating my website. So everything is there, but oh, if you've got half an hour to kind of search amongst everything, no, it is all there. Everything I've okay. done is there. So okay. that's the best thing to do. But uh, Cookie the Books with Jilly Smith is the podcast where okay. I speak to the food writers. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's, yeah, all the other podcasts are, are, are there. Mm-hmm. You are one busy woman, <laughs> and, and you're doing what you love. So that's just well. And I've, a- you know, the thing is, I only kind of came back into it in 2016 because I was focused on my children first. I wasn't quite. Mm-hmm. I wasn't. I was a stay-at-home mom until they were sort of you know 13, 14, and then I got a part-time job. But I was always home to pick them up from school. So. It's only since they've left that I've gone crazy with all this stuff. Oh, gosh. I'm so grateful for all of your work and your awareness building. And I think, um, I well, I know the our audience is going to be delighted to learn more. I've been thrilled to listen to your, your podcast and the energy and the excitement in your voice is absolutely contagious. Oh, thanks so much. I really enjoyed it. Hey everyone, I wanted to tell you about a powerful new tool that supports your mental and emotional health in what are extremely trying times. And you may remember that I've been a psychotherapist for 30 years, and I'm always a little suspicious of products that claim to help us feel less anxious, depressed, or worried. But then I was introduced to a new kind of app called Cope Notes, and I have become a big fan. Cope Notes was developed by a guy who spent a lot of his life trying to figure out what might help support him through his own weekly psychotherapy sessions. 
Cope Notes is an app that gives you random texts through the day to break through some of the negative messages that might be repeating in your head. It's well-researched and has been adopted by many mental health facilities. I highly recommend it. I think we can all use a little support right now. So check out copenotes.com forward slash zestful. I will receive a small portion of those proceeds. Um, And I'd love to hear your feedback about how it works for you. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at NicoleChristina.com. It's no secret that everyone's feeling pretty restless and unsettled right now. Our lives are upside down and the future is feeling pretty uncertain. But if you're anything like me, organizing my stuff can help me feel a little calmer. It's something I can do to help me feel a little more in control and in charge of my own life. If you think decluttering could help you feel better and you could use a little assistance with that, check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer, Carrie Luteran. It's called Too Much Stuff. And too much stuff is different from other courses or articles or guidance you may have used. We give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and the tools to help you face the overwhelming feelings and the emotions that come up when we're going through our clutter. And a lot of those emotions are just feeling anxious or guilty or just basically flooded with a lot of different confusing feelings. The course is really practical. It's realistic. The lessons are short and punchy, and they're really manageable. We're not trying to set you up for some long, exploratory, you know, super in-depth, burdensome experience. We want something really helpful for you right now. We all need help with our anxiety. So, Being surrounded by more calm and less chaos can really help. So now's a good time to clear out the clutter so we can focus on what's really important in our lives. So find out more at zestfulaging.com. You'll see more about this under the web courses tab. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email at zestfulaging at gmail.com. Thanks so much. And stay tuned next week for another interview with a fascinating and inspiring guest.